0: 2 Peter one sixteen. let me read it for you. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. As I sat down before the Lord this past week and began to ask Him for the message that he intended for me to bring to you, my attention was drawn immediately to these first words of this verse, cleverly devised myths. And as I began to consider them carefully, I realized that these three words are probably a good description of the condition that many churches, both in Peter's day and in ours, Exist and operate within Sunday after Sunday. Cleverly devised myths. What do I mean by that? It is as simple as looking around us at all the many churches that are holding worship right now at this moment. Just right here within our own town, but all of the churches. Why are we here in this church and why are they there in those churches it's because each of us like the things we believe about God and we then congregate as best we can with a group of people who we believe believe also much as we do is that a wrong thing to do is that a wrong thing to do not necessarily, but it can be, and it often is. But are they wrong in their beliefs, and are we right in ours? Or are we perhaps wrong in our beliefs, and are they right in theirs? Are we all perhaps wrong, at least to some degree? Those are questions that really should well up within our thoughts when we read and consider such words as these here in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. The implication that's drawn from these words is that this is to some degree how church groups are formed. A preacher begins to preach sermons and doctrines that have different and cleverly devised myths intermingled with them. And those sermons draw itching ears to come and to hear his philosophies. And before anyone realizes it, some of the members of his church have moved away to other churches, but others who, like his new preaching, have come from other churches to join with him. Now, am I saying that he is wrong in what he's doing? I don't know. And I can't know without examining his doctrines. He may be wrong. He may not be. But what qualifies to be called a cleverly devised myth? What is a myth? My dictionary defines a myth as a traditional or legendary story often with portions invented and fictitious, usually concerning some being or hero or event with or without a determinable basis of fact or a natural explanation, and is most often one that is concerned with deities and religion. That's a long explanation, but it's appropriate. Now here in our Scripture text, the Apostle Peter is implying that some preachers and teachers may at times interweave mythical teachings and beliefs in with the true gospel and done in such a way that it becomes difficult to recognize the difference between that which is made up and that which is real truth. And so he declares to them, that which I am preaching to you is not some cleverly devised myth because I was an eyewitness to Christ's glory. He stood there on the mount of transfiguration and he heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved Son. But the Apostle Peter is saying, yes, but this does take place. That those who would preach the Gospel can intermix cleverly devised myths in with real truth. And you're not going to know much about which is true and which is not. So the question then for us today, do we think that the same kinds of error might be present within the churches today? And I needed only to think for a moment to say yes. Yes, myths are present within our modern day churches. And those myths are probably rampant. How do cleverly devised myths get a foothold within our churches? I have no doubt that most of the myths have their origins from within the demonic realm where they seek to find a home. The demons with their philosophies seek to find a home within dissatisfied church congregations where they find ways then to saturate themselves into the doctrines that the preachers preach. And as those preachers preach their messages, the more amens that they hear from their congregation, the more he keeps preaching what he thinks they want to hear. Because he is preaching to their itching ears. So what are some of those obvious errors that are taking place within the churches? Those cleverly devised myths. One that's very subtle that I'll mention first because I mention it often from this pulpit. It's so very common within the Presbyterian church, especially the more liberal Presbyterian denominations that of substituting organized routines of worship for that of an intimate love relationship with the person of Christ. By that I mean, as long as we recite the usual church liturgy, the church words each Sunday. And then along... With that, as long as we privately do our obligatory 30 minutes of daily Bible reading and then adding a few prayers and then perhaps tithing our income and making sure that we're at church as often as we can be there, we truly do in this southern Bible Belt believe that we have fulfilled all the necessary elements to qualify as true worshipers. Let me say to you that kind of cleverly devised myth that you can come into your church, you just show up for your hour, your obligatory hour, get up and go home and do nothing more, or at least not much more, that has spelled the downfall of the Presbyterian Church U.S. It's still there, they're, they still occupy their buildings, but in the main, they're dead. I know that's pronouncing a strong judgment, but any that I've been inside in recent years, there's not life within them. And by the way, the same thing has taken place in many of our Methodist churches, and it is creeping so steadily into the Baptist churches where we substitute routine programs and biblical philosophies. We say all the right words But we substitute that for an intimate, loving relationship with the person of Christ. And let me say to you, that is a cleverly devised myth. And it will destroy any church where it is left to its own doing. Other cleverly devised myths are found in other denominations, such as the charismatic churches the myth that it is never God's will that you and I be sick or that we would suffer or that we should be poor. That kind of myth has won the hearts of all of those folks who attend their prosperity gospel-oriented churches those dear ones that really believe in the name-it-and-claim-it gospel. That's a myth. You cannot name it and claim it. Yes, God is good and He loves us and He wants us to be well cared for, but these dear folks in these churches are looking in the wrong places. They're obviously not looking into Scripture for their doctrines and beliefs. Because these Scriptures are very clear and plain and we find within them that in this life there will be sufferings of many kinds. That is a verse in Scripture. There will be sufferings of many kinds. There will be hunger. There will be poverty. There will be sickness. And to preach that that should never happen, which is common within many of these churches, it's a cleverly devised myth. And without casting too many stones, well, I won't mention, but there are some real popular TV preachers that preach exactly this. Now, another of the cleverly devised myths that's gaining headway in leaps and bounds in today's church culture is that of the acceptance of homosexual behavior into the worship of the church. Now, what I'm saying is this. You have a church that yes, you have the gospel being given, and yes, you have all the presentations of that which is biblical, but then interwoven within that doctrine comes these that I'm talking about here, such as this one of the acceptance of homosexual behavior into the worship of the church. Now yes, God... Loves and wants to save all of those who fall into the sin of homosexual behavior. But God does not accept their sin as being okay with Him and being okay within His church. Homosexuality is a sin. It is a sin like all other sin. And it must be turned from and it must be removed from the soul's of those who practice it. It must never be incorporated into the doctrines and beliefs of the church. What is taking place these days in these churches that are incorporating the homosexual agenda into their church, it is exactly what the Apostle Peter was speaking of here. It is weaving in cleverly devised myths. Another of the cleverly devised myths is especially painful to me because I hear it being espoused by members of my own family. And that is that God is a God of love. And that all of the things of God must be measured to that standard and to no other. And to no other. And because God is complete in His love, He will never hold anyone accountable for their sin. He will in some way make a provision so that no one will ever be condemned to hell. That is a cleverly devised myth. And more people than we realize believe that myth. Talk to some of your friends, some of your family members. There is this great belief that God is just a big grandfatherly teddy bear kind of person. And He will figure out a way to make everything turn out okay regardless of the sin involved. Now why do they choose to believe that myth? That God's going to work it all out? Why would someone choose to incorporate that into what they know is good gospel? Why would they incorporate that lie, that fictitious lie, in with real truth? One reason that I know of is that as they look at their beloved family members wallowing in some form of sinful behavior, they desperately reach for possible alternatives that will keep them from having to face the real truth that their loved ones might possibly go to hell. They cannot seem to get their loved ones out of those sinful conditions And so they've done like we have done in recent years with marijuana. If it's illegal, simply legalize it. That's what's taking place with this particular myth. We see our loved ones in sin and instead of them having to turn from their sin and get out of it, we figure out a way to change the law. That is a cleverly devised myth. And it will not stand. It's a dilemma that these dear ones can find no other answer for. and So they contrive this myth that somehow God's going to make it turn out okay. And you know what that does? That sedates their anxieties. But it does not take away the truths of God. And those myths go on and on. They're as common as every church that we have that's having service right now. So many of the churches have their own variation of these cleverly devised myths weaved into their daily doctrines. What are you and I to do about these cleverly devised myths? Especially if they were to try to worm their way into this congregation. You and I must, on a regular basis, go back to these Scriptures. And we must rehearse to ourselves and rehearse to each other the basic truths of God that are contained in these Scriptures. What are those basic truths? Now, I'm going to name several of them here. And if you're taking notes, you may not be able to take all of them. But basic truths that will not vary and they have no myth within them. And that is, there's only one God and there is no other. And God is absolutely holy and righteous. And not only is God holy and righteous, He is good in all that He is and all that He does. And God loves each of us with a deep abiding and everlasting love. But unfortunately, on our side of the equation, there's a condition called sin. A resident inclination present within each of us to want to do things that are wrong. Things that are self-centered and evil. And all men and women, all men and women without exception, have that same inherent inclination within them. But God, being pure and holy and righteous, cannot abide alongside the presence of sin. And His perfect justice requires that He deal with sin in a just and righteous way, punishing it and removing it from His presence, which would be in the simplest terms, with no other provisions being made, would require that all mankind be relegated to separation in a faraway place a place that has no fellowship with god a place that god has appropriately named hell a place not only of eternal separation from god but also of unbelievably painful suffering and all men and women you and i do justly deserve to go there we do That is the deserved justice that we deserve. But, thankfully, God, being also the very essence of love, has devised an alternative plan. A plan that if men and women would only accept it, they would find redemption from their sins. And they'd find peace for their troubled souls. And they'd be able to live an eternity In another place, a place that is forever in the presence of God, a place that He has appropriately named heaven, a place with mansions of glory and eternal peace. But such an alternative plan would require something on our part, on the part of man, a necessity that we would humbly recognize our lost and sinful condition a condition from which we know that we cannot redeem ourselves. And we would know that it is through God and through God alone that we can enter into His plan of redemption. And so in His great mercy and grace, God presented His alternative plan and He sent His one and only Son to come to earth and to provide that means of redemption that we so desperately need. And while His plan does not make much sense to many of the billions of people in this lost and dying world, it would be through the simple death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through God's blessed and only begotten Son that our sins, that all the sins of mankind could be taken from us and we would then be permitted to enter into everlasting life in the kingdom of God, forever united with Him, forever living in His blessed presence. Now that's very different. What I've just said is very different from all of these added in, devised myths. What I've just given to you is truth. How can I claim that? It's because I took it straight out of Scripture. Our only standard for truth Nothing was added in, nothing fictitious. This is truth, and it has no cleverly devised myth intertwined within it. Simple and straightforward, and you and I need to remind ourselves of those simple, basic provisions each and every day. And when we are talking with other people, and they begin to intertwine their myths into our conversation, as we give them the gospel and they begin with those words, yes, but you and I need to know how to re-speak these words back to them because this is true. It's time for me to close. I'd like for us to end with this thought, and that is where is this battle won with each of us personally? It is with us personally examining our own hearts and our own personal beliefs about God. Are we satisfied? Are you satisfied with these basic elemental truths about God that I just gave out of Scripture? Or do you find yourself needing to add in some cleverly devised myth? Do you need to add any other thing in to this simple gospel that I've just given here? before it becomes then appealing to you. Because how many times have you heard people say, well, I can't believe in a God that... and then they'll go on to say whatever that is. God is who He says He is here. God is perfect in every way, just the way He is. He is perfectly complete without you or me needing to add anything into His personality or into His being. You and I need to examine ourselves carefully every day to make sure that that stays true. And may we do the one thing that God requires of us. And all else then will flow from that. And that is, may we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Let's pray.